0: a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed welcome to another edition of bearing arms cam and company my name is cam edwards i am so glad you're with us on the program today hope you had a fantastic thanksgiving This episode brought to you by Direct Bullion USA, the new gold standard of gold and silver dealers. You wouldn't let the swamp of Washington, D.C. take your guns. So why would you let them take your retirement? Visit directbullionusa.com today. Start learning how to protect your financial freedom by requesting a free investment guide. Secure, protect, and diversify. Get started now at directbullionusa.com. And in fact, we are going to be talking about the uh, swamp in Washington, D.C. today. Uh, Senator Chris Murphy over the weekend appearing on CNN and uh, throwing some cold water on uh, Joe Biden's uh, repeated call, his incessant call for a ban on so-called assault weapons. Uh, Murphy saying he doesn't think that the 60 votes are there in the Senate for passage of the uh, gun ban that Joe Biden wants to see. But Senator Murphy did have an idea of his own. Yeah, um, he was speaking on CNN to uh, Dana Bash, and uh, he, uh, quote, condemned the actions of some Colorado counties that have declared their status as Second Amendment sanctuaries, arguing that they're circumventing state and federal laws. As the Daily Beast writes, more than half of these states' counties passed some form of the resolution after Colorado Governor Jared Polis signed a red flag law in 2019, which allowed police to temporarily take away the guns of those who may pose a risk to society. That's how the Daily Beast describes it. The law went into effect in 2020. Speaking on CNN, Murphy said, quote, the majority of counties in this country declare that they're not going to enforce state and federal gun laws, that they've decided that they're going to essentially refuse to implement the laws that are on the books. That is a growing problem in this country, he said. I think we're going to have to take a conversation or have a conversation about that in the U.S. Senate. Do we want to continue to supply fundamental law enforcement in counties that refuse to implement state and federal gun laws? He went on to say, uh, talking about the red flag laws, quote, you're just temporarily taking guns away from people. I think we have to have a conversation about whether we can continue to fund law enforcement in these states where they are refusing to implement these gun laws. So in other words, Chris Murphy's calling for defunding the police. At least if those departments don't enforce every gun control law in the books. Now, you want to have that conversation? Okay, we can have that conversation, Senator. But, I mean, why stop with the gun laws? What about the federal drug laws that aren't being enforced uh, by not only a number of counties, but a number of states, including the state of Connecticut, which last year legalized or, yeah, at the state level, legalized the possession of, I believe you can have up to one and a half ounces of marijuana on your person, uh, up to five ounces at your home, uh, and the state is working on uh, establishing a system for retail sales of marijuana as well. All, by the way, while cannabis is still a Schedule I drug federally, still against the law federally. So the idea that states and localities uh, can say, you know what, I'm not going to enforce that federal law. Actually, that's pretty long standing. I mean, you can go back to the 1850s uh, and the uh, establishment of the, uh, the law that required northern states and residents of northern states to help repatriate slaves back to the slave-owning south. Um, the state Supreme Court in Wisconsin actually declared that law to be unconstitutional and unenforceable in Wisconsin. The U.S. Supreme Court never did that, though. Uh, you can go back to, or uh, you know, look at what happened during Prohibition, 1920s, where you would have uh, dry. Well, you had the the dry federal law, right? But you had a number of wet states and a number of wet cities, and the uh, argument was, all right, well, listen, if the feds want to enforce the federal law; they're more than welcome to, but we don't have to do that. That's not our job. It's the job of federal law enforcement to enforce federal law, right? So I don't know that Murphy is really willing to reckon with this. In fact, the Supreme Court has said um, in a case dealing with the Brady Act in the 1990s that county sheriffs or local law enforcement uh, at the time uh the implementation of the Brady Act, they were supposed to be the ones who were running background checks until the NICS system was set up. Uh, Sheriff uh, Mack ended up uh, challenging that provision and the Supreme Court said, yeah, you're right. Um, it's not up to you as a county law enforcement official or a state-level law enforcement official to enforce federal law. It's up to the feds to do that. Now, I don't know if Murphy, I, I'm pretty sure Murphy's aware. I just don't think Murphy really cares. I think Murphy's engaged in some talking points here, right? He knows that Biden's gun ban is not going to get through the Senate. He wants to be able to reassure gun control activists he's doing something. Uh, And Democrats, again, as a party, are still all in, quite frankly, on infringing on the rights of law-abiding citizens. I wish that were not the case. I I honestly wish that were not the case. The right to keep and bear arms is a right not just of the right. It is a right of the left. It is a right of the muddy middle. it It is a right of the right. It is a right of we the people it would be great if actually, you know, both major parties that supposedly represent we the people respected our fundamental rights. Unfortunately, that's not the case. Certainly not the case when it comes to Chris Murphy, who would rather blame legal gun owners and law-abiding citizens for the actions of violent criminals. And God forbid we do anything to get tough on violent crime. Oh, no, no. We've got to crack down on all those Americans exercising their Second Amendment rights. We've got to defund the police. If they say, hey, you know what? This particular law is not going to be a priority for me, as long as it's a gun law, right? Now, if it's the DA in uh, Travis County, Texas, who says, we're not going to enforce these state-level abortion laws, Chris Murphy's fine with that. If it's Connecticut lawmakers saying, we're not going to enforce federal drug law, Chris Murphy's fine with that, too. Only when it comes to your right to keep and bear arms does Chris Murphy say, uh, standing up for those rights should mean we defund the police. I'd love to see how that particular position would poll, by the way, with uh, American citizens. Do you think that uh, just because a county sheriff or a uh, police chief says, hey, listen, this law is not going to be a priority, that they should be stripped of federal funding? I'm sure the anti-gun activists would love it, but I'm pretty sure the uh, good folks living in bad neighborhoods would tell Murphy to go pound sand. Uh, We'll keep our eyes on what's going on uh, in the course. As I mentioned, though, at uh, Bearing Arms over the weekend, I'm not convinced that uh, Joe Biden is really pushing for Congress to do something. I think Biden might be setting the table for more administrative actions after the midterms. You know, for months now, the gun control lobby has been arguing in court filings and you know, mounting a sort of uh, whisper campaign to the folks within the Biden administration that they need to go big on gun control and that there is a way to enact a ban on commonly owned firearms without a vote in Congress and instead use the executive authority of the ATF to uh, reclassify an untold number of semi automatic firearms as machine guns, quote unquote, under the National Firearms Act, because the gun control lobby says, well, these semi-automatic firearms are readily converted to machine guns. And so therefore, they should fall under the auspices of the NFA. Now, they're not just calling for so-called assault weapons to be regulated as machine guns. No, no, no. They're calling for semi-automatic firearms to be regulated as machine guns. And you know, what did Joe Biden say uh, just a couple of days ago? Right, he didn't talk about it was a sick that we allow these uh, 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 modern sporting rifles or these uh, quote unquote assault weapons to be sold. No, he said it's sick that we allow semi-automatic firearms to be sold. Now, it could be that that was just President Mushmouth, uh, you know, spitting out whatever came to his mind. But given that the gun control lobby has been so vocal in encouraging the administration to take this very step to go after not just rifles, but handguns and shotguns as well, anything that's semi-automatic, uh, by declaring that they're readily converted to machine guns, you can't help but, but wonder if maybe Biden's listening there. Uh, and in a uh, divided Congress, it looks like, you know, if Biden wants to get anything done on gun control in the uh, next two years before he leaves office, it's going to have to be through administrative action. And that makes, again, it's a nuclear option. I'm not denying It, it sounds crazy. That the Biden administration would try to ban tens of millions of legally owned firearms, potentially, through an administrative fiat. And by the way, don't forget, under the auspices of the National Firearms Act, you have the Hughes Amendment, which was passed in 86, right? Hughes Amendment says that no new machine guns can be purchased in this country by civilians. Every machine gun that you can purchase to own is pre-Hughes' amendment. It, 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 it was manufactured before 1986. So what happens if now all of a sudden the ATF decides that every Glock in America uh, that was manufactured after 1986 is in fact a machine gun? What happens to all of those existing gun owners? Under the terms of the National Firearms Act, I don't, I don't think it's a matter of them paying a $200 tax stamp and them getting to keep their guns. I think that that would actually have to change. There would have to be some sort of legislative change to the NFA in order to enact that. Because if you simply try to apply the provisions of the NFA and the Hughes Amendment to semi automatic firearms that the ATF would retroactively reclassify as machine guns, you're going to have a lot of Americans in illegal possession of machine guns going forward. I, again, it's a nuclear option. It's the Hail Mary pass for gun control advocates. I'm not saying it's going to happen. But I am uh, increasingly concerned that this is something that the Biden administration will try to do to one degree or another, right? Maybe not to all semi firearms, but maybe we will go after uh, these over here and these over here. And then if it's upheld by the courts, then we'll expand it out even broader. Just something to keep your eye on, because I, I really think that the, uh, the gun ban action over the next couple of years isn't going to come from Capitol Hill. It's going to be coming from the White House, the DOJ, and the ATF. All right, let's turn our attention to today's Armed Citizens story, our good deed of the day, and our recidivist report. Um, yeah, let's start there, as a matter of fact. You know, again, as Chris Murphy sitting there blaming legal gun owners. how oh, we got to crack down on people exercising their segment rights. we got to defund the police for not enforcing these gun laws. How about this, Senator Murphy? An investigation in Arizona shows that gunmen charged with shooting at police in 2022 should have been behind bars. Yeah. In other words, an additional gun control law wouldn't have done squat. Instead, we need to look at what's going on in the criminal justice system right now. So This is from uh, 3TV, CBS 5 in Phoenix. Uh, And they talk about back on February 11th, Phoenix police believe uh, they encountered what was an ambush. An ex-con named Richard Morris Jones at the home of his ex-girlfriend. Shots were fired. Somebody called 911. When the first officer arrived on the scene, Jones lured the officer to the front door and then opened fire. At the end of the standoff, Jones and his ex girlfriend were dead. Police believe that to Jones shot and killed Shatifa Lobley and then himself after wounding a total of nine officers. As uh, CBS 5 reports, though, an investigation into the shooting revealed that Jones should have already been behind bars at the time of the shootout. And in fact, five separate shooting incidents happened this year, each one involving someone opening fire on Phoenix police. And in three of the five cases, That suspect was already a convicted felon, had been arrested at some point in the previous two years for unlawfully possession of firearm, but either had not been prosecuted for that charge, or the case was still making its way through the court system. Yeah. According to their review uh, of the shooting cases involving Phoenix police officers, felons caught with guns aren't always prosecuted for the crime or their cases make their way through the legal system at a snail's pace. While the felon remains out of custody, Richard Morris Jones had a lengthy criminal history going back to when he lived in Oklahoma. In 2020, he was arrested in Arizona on charges of human smuggling. In uh, May of 2021, while he was out on federal probation, he was arrested for assaulting his ex-girlfriend and then stealing her 9mm handgun. As a felon in possession of a handgun, he could have been prosecuted by the U.S. Attorney's Office. Instead, he was sent to the county jail, or I think state prison for uh, five months for violating the terms of his probation, but he was not prosecuted at all for being a felon in possession. If he had been, CBS 5 says he would have still been in prison at the time of the shooting. And they says their investigation found more cases where a person accused of firing on police would have been behind bars had they been promptly prosecuted for illegally possessing a weapon. So again, what should we do? Should we try to restrict the rights of law-abiding citizens, maybe uh, impose a waiting period before they can purchase a firearm, maybe maybe a mental health background check, right? Maybe they should have to sit down with a mental health counselor and the issuing authority, sheriff's deputy, whoever it is, and prove that they are of sound mind and body and can exercise their right to keep and bear arms. Is that how we want to treat rights in this country? Because that's the exact opposite of what a right is, right? With a right, you start with it. Now, you may lose that right, again, if you are a uh, convicted felon, if you are uh, adjudicated as merely defective, but you start with your rights intact. Not for the gun control lobby. They want to flip that on its head. You start with no rights. Only after you have demonstrated your worthiness to keep and bear arms will you be given permission from the state, in order to exercise your right. That's the way they want it to work. And again, all of those laws aimed at legal gun owners, law-abiding citizens, has an impact on law enforcement's ability to go after violent criminals. Look what they're doing in New York right now. Look what they're doing in Oregon, where sheriffs say that the unfunded mandates that are included as part of Measure 114 are going to have a dramatic impact on law enforcement, including a reduction of the number of officers who are on the street because they're going to have to be reassigned to administrative duties, uh, which in and of itself, by the way, is a bit of a defund the police measure. It's fascinating, by the way, how Democrats have dropped that slogan, but are still pursuing that policy, right? And now they're doing it in the name of gun safety. Today's Armed Citizens story from Chicago, Illinois, where a, a 23-year-old concealed carry holder was able to survive an attempted carjacking by four men thanks to the fact that she was carrying. Now, this concealed carry holder was shot. Thankfully, she is expected to recover. Uh, The woman was sitting in her car in the Calumet Heights neighborhood of Chicago, South Side, 2 a.m. Wednesday morning, when four men uh, pulled out of a uh, black sedan. One of the men attempted to open her car door. He was armed. The woman shot the would-be carjacker in the head before she ran away from the car. One of the other men reportedly shot her in the left arm. She was later taken to a hospital uh, at last report in fair condition. The man who was shot was uh, taken to another local hospital in critical condition. The woman's other three attackers escaped from the scene. Um, Right now, we uh, don't know if any arrests have been made. But again, we do know that this 23-year-old woman is alive today because she was able to protect herself. Four against one, at least one of them armed. What do you think is going to happen to that 23-year-old? Maybe, maybe, listen, we could put our faith and trust in the carjackers that they would have treated this 23-year-old woman with respect and dignity, right? They would have said uh, politely, ma'am, give us your keys and we'll let you go. And that she just should have trusted them, right? That that, that That's one argument that she did the wrong thing by protecting herself. Instead, you just cooperate. Put yourself in her shoes. You're 23 years old. It's the middle of the night. Four guys walk up to you. One of them's got a gun. You trust those guys to have your best interest at heart? You trust those guys not to shoot you as they're driving away in your vehicle just so that they don't leave a witness? You, really? You trust them? Good for you if you do. But I completely understand why this 23-year-old woman in Chicago wanted a concealed carry license so that she could carry for self-defense. And you know what? I'm glad she got it. Glad she had it. Glad she was carrying. And I'm glad she's alive today. Finally today, our good deed of the day out in uh, California where the uh, Los Angeles police department is helping a uh, officer and his wife who were both diagnosed with stage four cancer earlier this year it is an absolutely horrible story uh, this is the uh, family in question beautiful family um laura tamaloso was diagnosed in february of this year with stage four colon cancer and then in i think it was april no june her husband michael Diagnosed with stage four throat cancer. Michael's uh, sister-in-law, or Michael's sister, excuse me, said uh, he had radiation and chemo every day for almost eight weeks. He was unable to eat anything solid during that time, had to have a feeding tube inserted. Um, Michael joined the U.S. Marine Corps after high school, served as an officer with the LAPD for 25 years. Laura worked for the FBI, but left the agency to homeschool their younger son, who has special needs. Uh, for most of this year, they have been living off of state disability. But after some of uh, Michael's fellow officers learned about what the family was going through, they decided they wanted to do a little bit more. Officer Rob Golden says it hit clo- it hits close to home when someone is walking the same path in life. He has a servant's heart. He has always helped others and put others before him, beginning with his family and the community at large. And so uh, Rob Golden worked with uh, Tumaloso Uh, at the Los Angeles Police Department Central Traffic Division. He says right now they're using their personal insurance policy. They're dipping into retirement. They're dipping into savings to help cover everything. I know uh, how significant those costs can be. They add up. Uh, Laura Tomoloso does need more treatments. Um, Michael Tomoloso just finished what hopefully will be his last round of therapy. He is in good spirits. Um, Family says they're staying positive, as positive as you can at this time. It's tough. Stage four cancer is a, uh, a tough diagnosis. You know, that, that, at that point, it's basically you're not trying to cure the cancer. You're trying to extend the life of the cancer patient. Uh, and as you know, my own wife, uh, Missy, is a, a stage four lung cancer patient. In fact, uh, as I am recording today's show, Missy is uh, getting her CT scan. We'll find out tomorrow. Uh, Just how much the cancer has progressed and whether or not she can delay uh, treatment a little bit longer or whether she needs to go back herself. So I ran across the story about the uh, Tomalosos, and it hit a little bit harder for me than than I expected it would. But uh, keep this family in your thoughts and your prayers. If you do want to help them out as well, uh, there is a a Blue Ribbon Trust Fund that has been opened for the uh, Tomalosos family at the uh, Los Angeles Police Federal Credit Union, and uh, folks can make an online donation uh, there. Just uh, go to the uh, LA Police Federal Credit Union website and then go to the Blue Ribbon Trust Fund section there, and you can uh, help the Tom Aloso family out. Uh, and again, you know, in the right place at the right time, we'll able to do the right thing. The uh, Tom Aloso's friends, coworkers, and I'm guessing now even some complete strangers in the right place at the right time and willing to do the right thing to help this family in need. All right. That is uh, all the time we've got for you in this edition of bearing arms, cam and cam. before, before we go, um, I do have, you know, a couple weeks ago, we, we got a new puppy Bentley and, uh, Bentley, Bentley is not a, uh, therapy dog in any way, shape or form. But when you are going through tough times, a good dog can be a big help. So I wanted to share this picture of a uh, little Bentley with Missy e, getting some loving, giving some loving the smile on both of their faces. I got to tell you, it's, um, it is wonderful to see. And, uh, Bentley had a good Thanksgiving holiday as well. Uh, he actually got a chance to go exploring. There he is uh, staring down one of my neighbor's cows and, uh, saying, uh, wow, look at that weird black thing there in the uh, pasture. What is that? As the cow was saying, wow, look at that little weird black and white and tan thing in the pasture. What is that? So there you go. Bentley, loving life, and... uh giving warm fuzzies to missy so again i would appreciate your thoughts and prayers for her as well i look forward to talking to you tomorrow we will be back again with a more of the latest segment of news and information from all across the nation uh, in the meantime i would encourage you to check out bearingarms.com where we are covering even more of the top stories of the day dealing with your right to keep and bear arms including an intra-party fight over gun control in the state of maine yeah democrat legislators taking on the democratic governor in the state of Maine. Uh, and we've got a lot more for you as well. Ryan Petty, uh, Tom Knighton with uh, contributions today. Look forward to seeing you at BarrenArms.com. Thanks again for your support. And if you like what you see, I'd also encourage you to become a VIP member. All you have to do, go to barrenarmscom slash subscribe, use the promo code GUNRIGHTS, and you can get a significant savings on your VIP membership. As our way of saying thanks for showing your support, we're going to give you exclusive content, news stories and analysis you won't find anywhere else, because your support does matter. And it really does make a difference. So thank you again. Have a great rest of your Monday. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Until then, be well, be safe, and be free.